This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by Matt Baxendell. Bax, we finally know when spring ball is going to begin. Ohio State sent out the details yesterday. Spring football begins in exactly two weeks and two days from today. That would be Friday, March 19th. They were going to go for four straight weeks. There's no spring break. Four straight weeks of spring ball culminating in the spring game. Bax on Saturday, April 17th. Gene Smith had a conference call with the media a couple days ago. The one thing everybody wants to know is there are going to be fans in the stands at the spring game. Gene Smith said no final decision has been made on that. I tend to think there's going to be some fans allowed. What's your gut feeling on that? Well, I don't think Ohio State wants to get ahead of the public health officials is my gut feeling. Um, As eager as we all are to start getting back to normal and as exciting as it was to see fans in the stands for the Blue Jackets game last night, um, you know, I, I know that nobody wants to say anything that could jeopardize when we get people back in when it's safe. I mean, we're up to 76 million vaccinated Americans. It's about one in four, you know, one in five have already been vaccinated. So the reality is, is that while we're here to talk about the Buckeyes, the big picture of this pandemic is it's not much longer till we can start rear viewing it. So I think everybody's trying to be cautious at OSU about taking a step too soon. I think it's more than safe to have 20% of the stadium outdoors. You know, uh, that's just everything based on the science there. But I think you're going to see family members at these game, at, at the spring game. You're probably going to see some first responders. You may even have like a, a lucky draw of students or something just to get some people there. But I don't think you're going to have more than 2,500 people at it. At the end of the day, I think it's one thing that's never been a moneymaker for OSU. It's always been just a good thing for the community. I'm sure it'll be broadcast. I think it'll probably be the last big OSU football thing we have before we get back to normal attendance, fingers crossed. Yeah, no question about it. And that is the good thing. First of all, I agree with you. I think it's going to be limited attendance. I, I, I like what you're thinking with the first responders, kind of like what they did with the Super Bowl and other events have done that. Uh, we know it's a huge stadium. We know science has proven if you're in an outdoor event. I don't think the NFL had any issues at all during their season. Not one um, reported case of anybody you know, acquiring the coronavirus at an NFL football game. And they had you know, 12,000 fans at games. They had up to 25,000 at the Super Bowl. So I think they're going to have some fans, but it certainly won't be a packed house. But I think they're going to have some. All right, let's take – but as you mentioned, the, the cool thing about it is it's going to be on TV. So after not having a spring game last year, it's going to be really fun. Even if you're a fan that wants to go to the game but you can't, at least you're going to be able to sit home and watch it on TV, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And now we know when that is going to be. That will be Saturday, 
April 17th, and hopefully there will be fans in the stands. We'll keep you posted on that. All right, take quarterback off the board for me, Bax. What position battle or what, just in general, what intrigues you the most when you look ahead to spring ball starting? Well, first of all, I want to see how the tailback rotation works. Um, I'm interested to see some of these young guys there because that's a spot where I think there's a lot of flux despite the experience they have back. Uh, I, I want to see Trevion Henderson, who didn't play last fall, right? So that th- that is, I would say, a segue, too, into I want to see the young guys. Last year, we got robbed of those games where OSU goes up 42 nothing at half, and you have the whole second half with the future guys, and sometimes you see them make a play, and you go, wow, that kid's going to be really good in a year or two, right? We didn't get much of that. So I'm excited about seeing some of the young guys. I'm excited to see Jack Sawyer. Um, I'm also excited to see – the way the secondary looks, because let's face it, the spring game is always pass happy, right? You know, the sack rules are usually, if you touch the quarterback, he's down. You don't run the ball a lot because you don't want there to be too much physicality. So really it's a pass heavy spring game. So sure. We're all concerned about the quarterbacks, but I'm interested to see how the secondary looks too. I mean, at the end of the day here, I, I could probably talk about just wanting to see the Buckeyes again, because we barely got to see them last fall. What was it? Eight games or something like that. Is there a total for the whole year? So I am uh, I am more than excited just to see these guys get back on the field for a normal spring practice, which we didn't get last year. Get a chance to install systems. Get a chance to install – you know, Urban used to say spring football set the tone for the whole season, right? And last year in the spring, we were all busy in the, the early stages of quarantine, not knowing if this was Ebola or COVID that it ended up being the no – and you just didn't get any sort of normalcy. These kids didn't get the opportunity to have a normal college integration and schedule. I'm excited for that to happen. That more than anything, I'm excited to see. So let's get these young guys in. Let's get football going again the right way. Two new quote-unquote coaches on the team this year. Paul Rhodes, Todd Fitch, two guys with very impressive resumes during their coaching career. Paul Rhodes, age of 54, was longtime defensive coordinator at Pitt under Dave Wonstadt and did a good job there. He was a head coach at Iowa State for seven years and has just been around the game a long time, has a lot of respect. And also Todd Fitch will be the offensive analyst, 57 years old, longtime offensive coordinator, actually coached with Ryan Day, you could say under Ryan Day, in 2013 and 2014 at Boston College. I find this very interesting. Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach those years, 2013 and 2014 at BC. Todd Fitch was the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. And then when Day left for the NFL with Chip Kelly to go to the Eagles in 2016, or excuse me, in 2015, Fitch took over for Day as the offensive coordinator for Boston College. So those guys know each other well. And a lot of people backs have asked, you know, we have a thread on the front row message board with people wanting to get some clarification on what their roles are going to be. In general, I, I can break it down. You know, they, you know, these are guys that or just, you know, an extra set of eyes and an extra set of brains, you know, for the coordinators and the, the coaches in general. So you look at a guy like Paul Rhodes, he's been around the game forever, um, especially the defense. He's just another set of eyes for Kerry Combs. And he can't coach on the field per se, but he can be on the field for practice. He just can't go over and coach up guys, but he can watch practice, analyze practice. He can break down film. He can break down tendencies of the Buckeyes. He can break down tendencies of the opponent ways to attack the opponent, and these guys are only making $50,000. So same thing with Fitch on the offensive side of the ball. They can't recruit, um, but and they can be 
at the games, either in the press box or on the field. They just can't be on the mic with the other coaches. They're allowed to write notes back. They can have handwritten notes, but they can't be on the actual headset with the coaches. It's just one of those quirky rules like back in the day where if you put cream cheese on a bagel, it was a meal. If you didn't have cream cheese on a bagel, it was not considered a meal. It was a snack. But, you know, I really like this. I mean, I, I almost think it's overdue. Like Ryan Day, if he had to do it all over again, would have added analysts his first two years. And, you know, but I like that he added Paul Rhodes and Todd Fitch. How much do you think those guys can help and maybe add some things that I left out of maybe their roles and what you think they can add to this team? Well, first of all, I'm glad we got to talk about the bagel cream cheese again. That story will literally never get old. Um, For those of you who don't know the background on that, this was a giant, like, probably, I want to say 10, 15 years ago. This was like, for a week of the sleepy offseason was the biggest story in Ohio State football about how the NCAA would uh, count. Somebody had a minor violation because they were fed cream cheese with bagels. Uh, versus just a bagel with a side of closed cream cheese, which was different in classification. So OSU went over the meal allotment for a recruit while visiting. It was kind of like the time Boise State got sanctioned for ordering extra pizza for recruits, uh, which we all rightfully called out as the stupidest thing in human history, that this is somehow a violation. But um, I'm excited about these guys in a big way. First of all, Paul Rhodes, when he was at Pitt, oversaw some of the top pass defenses in the country. One year under uh, Dave Wanstead, they finished second against the pass in the whole country. So it sounds like somebody might have something to say about improving this defense. And that was our big concern whenever they promoted Parker Fleming and, and kind of gave Kerry Combs the full uninterrupted reign as the defensive coordinator, right? Was we're entrusting the guys who just had one of the worst defenses against the pass, if not the worst defense against the pass in OSU history to fix the OSU pass defense with no new voices. Well, Paul Rhodes is that new voice, right? And just because he can't go on the field and work with individual players, he's going to be able to look at it from a big picture scheme. He's essentially Kerry Combs' scheme assistant, right? He's essentially Kerry Combs' play calling assistant. That is a fantastic role for Paul Rhodes to be in. Like that is a I'm more excited about him being brought in there than I am about any other hiring or coaching changes for OSU because Rhodes is very well suited to do exactly what we need to have done. Um, So that part is really great. The flip side of this is, is that when you can bring in another guy like Fitch, who Ryan Day is super familiar with, guess what this allows him to do? It allows him to be a little more hands-on with the quarterbacks, right? Fitch can help a little bit more in the game planning side of things. Well, Ryan Day can work a little closer with Corey Dennis and these quarterbacks. You know that's going to be something that Ryan Day is hyper-focused on this year is identifying his starter and having them ready to play. So when you have a guy like Todd Fitch who can come out and help you with your general scheme, can set the, 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 the foundations for the next week's game plan while you're working on the quarterback individual play, it makes it a little easier having been somebody you're familiar with. Well, that's a great thing. So these two guys are bringing in very clear roles in terms of big picture assistance. And it's also the first time OSU in my memory has brought in somebody like this and these analyst roles that have been ubiquitous in the SEC for years, right? You're bringing in somebody who maybe they're, they're in between jobs for a year, but they want to keep themselves active, right? Because they're getting a big buyout or they've got, they've got the, another year on their contract and they don't want to take another coaching job on the cheap and lose the money that was guaranteed to them. So they're coming here and doing something really productive at a big time school. I think these are huge jobs for 
uh, the success of the program. And I think it's good for the two coaches who are coming in, in this analyst role. Uh, and the reality too, is, is if there's some other coaching changes, these guys are ready made assistants to be added into a staff if they're successful this year. So I think this is a win, win, win across the board for OSU, for the coaches and for the, uh, the, the players who are going to be able to have another veteran voice with them. I find this really cool too. This is a complete sidebar, but regarding Paul Rhodes, everything comes full circle. A 24-year-old Paul Rhodes, fresh out of college, was a graduate assistant at Ohio State in 1991, exactly 30 years ago. And he saw a little bit of uh, everything uh, on that team. He saw Robert Smith quit the team uh, because uh, Elliot Uzelak, the offensive coordinator, um, they couldn't get along. Elliot Uzelak was basically telling them not to go to class. And yeah, there was, you know, after the fact, there, there might have been maybe Elliot Uzelak uh, took a little bit more flack than he should have from the fan base. But regardless, star running back quits the team. Um, you know, that was an interesting year for sure, 1991. And now 30 years later, he comes back to Ohio State as an analyst at the age of 54. So it's going to be fun talking to Paul Rhodes about that when we get a chance to do that. All right, switching gears, backs. I can't wait to get your take on this. I talked about this with Patrick Murphy on the show on Monday, but man, this feels like Jim Harbaugh's last year at Michigan. He just got another transfer quarterback, as you know, Alan Bowman from Texas Tech. Three years of eligibility remaining, graduate transfer, so he will be eligible immediately. I think the the one-time transfer rule is coming anywhere where guys are going to be eligible immediately, but it's not quite there yet. I, J.J. McCarthy must be thinking, what the heck's going on here? First of all, you bring in a, a quarterback coach three days before spring begins that's never been a quarterback coach before. Now you're bringing in a transfer that might be starting over top of me. Um, I don't know, man. Break down what, what you think is going on with quarterback there, and do you agree with me that it, it definitely feels like Year seven of Harbaugh is going to be the final year of Harbaugh. Desperation, Dave. It's a stinky cologne. That's about <laughs> the best way to describe bringing in yet another transfer quarterback. That is the that is probably the hallmark of the Harbaugh era, right? Is putting band-aids on bullet holes and hoping it's going to pan out. Like the reality is their top two quarterbacks going into this spring last year both transferred out because of various unhappiness with the uh, with the staff and everything. Remember how Joe Milton was the combination of Dante Culpepper and Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger all mixed together with the leadership of Tim Tebow? Uh, yeah, yeah, that definitely worked out great. He's gone. Uh, you, got, you got Dylan McCaffrey. He's gone. Uh, and so the only guys on the roster at this point left for them at quarterback were Cade McNamara, uh, who was hurt most of last season but looked okay when he was in. And then J.J. McCarthy, who – this is, again, I, I, I don't think this is talked about enough. OSU picked McCord over McCarthy. McCarthy would have come to OSU if Ryan Day had picked him. So the quarterback that OSU didn't want, that is supposed to be their savior, right? And now they have to go get another guy from Texas Tech who threw as many interceptions as he did touchdowns last year. Uh, Texas Tech, the further you get away from the Mike Leach era, is the further away from the, uh, the air raid being the fearful thing that it once was. And it's time to plug this guy in up in Michigan with, again, a quarterback coach who'd never coached quarterbacks and hope it's enough to somehow get enough wins to keep Harbaugh's youth movement staff in place where he's essentially hiring a bunch of guys, all of which are under the age of 40. And there's no experience diversity beyond Harbaugh himself. Uh, you know, whatever. It lets them build their enthusiasm. Let that, let, it gets these guys into whatever this year's version is of them convincing themselves that they're going to have what it takes to do it. They're going to win. They have something special. It's going to be amazing. 
and then they fall flat on their face and they are left picking up the pieces again. We have reached end stage Harbaugh. He's going back to what he did the first year and acting like it's a new thing. Remember when he brought in the Iowa quarterback, Jake Rudock, who was promptly put out of the game by a massive hit by, I believe, Joey Bosa in the first time when Ohio State played them and beat them by four touchdowns? Uh, yeah. End stage Harbaugh is probably funniest stage Harbaugh because you can tell that they're trying to just save money on coaching contracts right now while they play out this last year of his fake-ass extension. That's nothing more than just extending the the time until they have to spend the money on a new head coach due to the pandemic. So yeah, this is all this is is it, it is a a bandaid on a bullet wound. And congratulations to them on bringing in yet another guy that was not developed there. I still don't know how many quarterbacks they have that have actually developed there because their quarterbacks all transfer out or transfer in. Like they haven't had a guy go through their program. Under Harbaugh. Like, I really don't think somebody's made it through four years at quarterback there unless they're a walk-on during the Harbaugh era. And everybody transfers, even the ones who play decently. Remember Wilton Spate, who was actually marginally decent for them and almost beat OSU, though the fact that he threw three or two pick sixes against us was the reason they lost. But even he transferred out, right? So, end of the day, it's pretty clear. I remember when Harbaugh came in, remember everybody talked about the you get like a five-year window and then you're really sick of him? I think everybody's very clearly to the sick of him window and they've changed everything around Harbaugh. And, you know, this is, this is, this is the end stage. We're in the end game now. And soon Ryan Day is going to click his fingers and Harbaugh's going to fade away to dust. I selfishly want him to stay. Like I want him to do just enough to keep his job, get hammered, Forever. By, get hammered by Ohio state. Of course, of course that could be, that could do it enough. They could be sitting there with, I cannot, I look at their roster and their collection of coaches that are in over their head. I think Mike Hart was actually a really good hire. He was a good, you know, running backs coach at Indiana. He, you know, he, it, as much as Ohio State fans don't like Mike Hart, like, I think that was a good hire. The rest of them are head scratchers, and their roster is not good, to say the least. I don't see them going into the Ohio State game with only two losses. Let's say they're able to go to the Ohio State game with only two losses. Buckeyes beat them down. They're sitting there at nine and three. That could be enough for Harbaugh to keep his job. That's what I'm hoping for. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think they're looking at like seven and five at best with a beat down to Ohio State, which is going to put him at 0 and six against the Buckeyes. It would be 0 and seven if not for what happened last year. Um, and I think he's going to be out of there. But yes, yeah, selfishly, man, I'm kind of hoping he does just enough to keep his job. What, what, where do you see only three losses on that schedule is what throws me off, right? Right, right. Like, they've got to play Washington, who's better than them. They got to go to Wisconsin, who's better than them. They've got to play Northwestern, who, as of last year, was better than them. They have to go to Penn State, who's better than them. They have to play Ohio State, who's better than them. And this is also the team last year that lost to Michigan State, who was the worst team I thought up to that point in the Big Ten. Like, I don't know where their wins are supposed to come from. I didn't even mention that to play Indiana, who was good last year and will be good again this year. Like, where are these wins coming from? Yeah, they could be looking at six and six. I really feel like seven and five. I don't want to say it's their ceiling. I mean, you just never know. But it, to me, it feels like it. I mean, I, you know, even though I cover Ohio State, I follow Michigan closely. 
and uh, you know, keep your uh, friends closer and your enemies closer. And I do that. I follow that program closely. And this roster is it's not looking good. Even guys that I thought would be like good fourth year players that really, you know, were, were hot and cold, but talented, like Cam McGrone, he turned pro, you know, guys that weren't even ready to turn pro. Like um, uh, Ambry Thomas is probably going to be like a second or third round pick. So he was ready to turn pro. He opted out last year. Anyway, their offensive line is going to be terrible. They're going to have a new quarterback. Uh, I just don't see it, man. I agree with you. We're looking at the last year of Harbaugh and I think that he's going to go out in flames. It's not like he's going to go out with like a respectable season. I could be wrong, but looks like it's headed for disaster in Ann Arbor this year. I know people listening to that show, That'll make all of you very happy because I'm sure you're hoping for disaster up in Ann Arbor. All right, great stuff from the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. You can catch his award-winning column every Sunday. It is the bucket. Thank you to Bax. Thank you all of listeners out there for tuning in the show. We appreciate that very much. Have a great day, Bucknutters. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.